Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. It's 1 o'clock on Wesson Walker Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. We transition to some round ball discussion. Going to be heavy a part of the 1 o'clock hour. And who better to start off some basketball talk than my friend Nada Edwards. You can find him on Twitter at Nada the Scribe. You can find his work on the Ion College Basketball Podcast. Used to be a part of the world-renowned Locked On Hornets podcast. You can also find him sometimes producing for the Pick 6 pod. Nada, man, how are you doing? I am I am good, man. How are you? I'm doing well. I just want to know, first and foremost, are you going to find a way to work in calling me an uncultured savage on these radio airwaves today? Why would you, like, why would you do that? Why would I do that? Because I know oh, you. Well, you know what? You've earned it. You uncultured savage. <laughs> there you go. That, I'm sure earned people. It. I'm sure people love hearing it because you used to clown me all the time. I don't know why I brought you on to clown me, but I guess I value your basketball opinion enough to fight through that, anyways. Again, follow Nada on Twitter at Nada the Scribe. I want to talk a little bit about some ACC with you, man. I mean, you see Duke win last night. Would have been a bad loss, and it's not necessarily because the Panthers are a bad basketball team. They're not showing it this year. It's just that if you're Duke. You're obviously held to a higher standard, and if you would have lost to Pittsburgh, that would be a little bit too many losses at the beginning of this season. How much faith do you have in Duke after their comeback against the Panthers last night? I mean, I have as much faith in Duke as I do with Tyrese Proctor at this point. The growth of Tyrese Proctor is going to be the thing. You saw him make plays, play after play, second half of that game, and basically along with him and Filipowski and some and the re- resurrection somewhat, of Derek Lively a second. I like them. I think they're going to be good, but I also think that this team has a cap because they're so young and we don't know when Jeremy Roach is going to be back. Well, Nada, how much do we apply the same logic, especially with us having seen what Hubert Davis did in a very similar situation, taking over for a legendary coach, getting off to a rocky start last season? How much do we apply that same example and put it on John Shire at Duke? How different and similar are they in your eyes? It's a little bit different because we're talking about a team that was loaded with Roy Williams veterans with Hubert Davis. It was You had Baycott that had been there. Caleb Love had been there. You had Leaky Black that had been there. You had um, Brady Manick as well. Like, you had a lot of these guys that were older guys that you could just rely on, that you could eventually rely on and figure it out. Whereas with Shire, it's a little bit different because you have all these young guys, and Jeremy Roach is the only guy that you could really rely on for any kind of vet, like any kind of veteran leadership, and he's not on the floor right now. So it's a little bit different in, the, in, in which. You kind of got to give Shire a little bit more time than we did with Hubert at this point. 
Now, the West Brian here. What do you think about uh, Carolina's backcourt and just how they've been struggling with the turnovers and then just the inefficient play of Caleb Love, especially in that game the other night against Virginia when Baycott goes down? What do you think about the fact that it seems like Carolina's not going to be able to rely on them to make a tournament run similar to what they did last year? I'm not worried, Wes. I'm not worried about like the tournament run yet, but we got to acknowledge the elephant in the room with Caleb Love. Sometimes he plays like Will Smith, shoots like Carlton. So we have to remember <laughs> that. Like we have to remember that with Caleb Love and his inconsistencies. Thankfully, they have a guy like Seth Trimble that comes in there, and even if he's not hitting shots like at the level of Caleb Love at this point, he's still going to at some point get in somebody's shorts get in somebody's grill, defend, do stuff that Caleb Love's not willing to do. We see that now with Trimble starting. So I'm not as worried about their inconsistencies right now, but it would be really, really nice if Caleb Love started showing up like he did last year. Okay, and then flipping the page, going up to uh, Winston-Salem with my alma mater, the Demon Deacons. They've won 14 straight games at home. Uh, last night, Cam Hildreth, Damari Monsanto, and Andrew Andrew Carr all go over 20 points. We know what Tyree Appleby has been bringing this season. They beat Duke already, battled with Carolina, with Carolina, but the turnovers hurt them ultimately. What do you think about this Wake Forest squad, and do you feel like they could be a dark horse to uh, really be a contender in the ACC and possibly win it? I don't think they can win the ACC West, and I hate to be that person to be like bring you the bad news. I don't think. Oh they no, it's not bad. The, <laughs> like I don't think they can win the ACC, but at the same point, I kind of like I think they're going to be really good. I just really wish they scheduled somebody in the non-con. Like th- the same thing that's going to trip them up last year is probably going to be the same thing that trips them up this year if they lose games they shouldn't. And I think that's one thing that we got to remember. Wake down the stretch last year, lost a lot of games that they should not have lost, even though they were a surprise. I expect them to handle business kind of like they did last night against Florida State. I love Damari Monsanto, one of my favorite shooters in ACC right now. But the biggest thing for them is I, I see them being able to get one of those double buys in the ACC tournament. It's just a lot more about just don't lose the games you shouldn't. Don't lose to the Clemsons of the world, even though I know Clemson's at the top of the ACC right now. They're going to – the water will find its level with them. But at the same point, I just – don't lose the games you shouldn't. That's that's the only thing I can tell Wake at this point. It's not a Edwards joining us, a part of the Ion College Basketball Podcast. He's joining us on the Body Works Plus guest hotline. You mentioned Clemson. You think maybe they might come back down to earth after their hot start in the ACC. You look at the top four, pretty interesting. Top four group there atop the conference. Pittsburgh, even though they lost, still an impressive start to the season. Clemson, we just brought up. Miami's up there as a ranked team. And then we just had that conversation about Wake Forest. Among those teams and maybe somebody else that you would consider a dark horse or an underdog, which one of those ACC programs do you have the most faith in going forward? Honestly, Pitt. Pitt plays the best. Clemson's got a lot on their schedule that is very, very backloaded, including a couple of games with Duke and also a North Carolina matchup, which we know they historically never win in, in Chapel Hill. Like Clemson will like I'm worried about Clemson going from first in the ACC to we're not talking about them until until the first day of the tournament. That's the kind of worry I have with them at this point. It's Pitt. I like what they did. Their non-con wasn't the greatest, but at the same point, 
they, they're they probably going to take another one from North Carolina because we're not sure about the North Carolina that will show up that game. We know what Pitt will be. At this point, Like I feel good about saying Pitt gets at least a bye in the ACC tournament. We're not talking about them until starting Wednesday. But at that, at that point, it's them and probably that's it. Now, to look at it, the NC State Wolfpack, they sit at 3-3 three and three right now in the conference, and they've got a massive game at home against Miami on Saturday. What do you make of the job Kevin Keats has done so far in the backcourt with Jarkel Joyner and Tequavion Smith? What do you think about this state squad? They're one of, the, they're one of my favorites. They're one of my favorites in terms of Tequavion Smith, Jarkel Joyner. I think they're one of those teams that'll be a bubble team when we talk about the ACC, when we talk about the ACC and possibly getting six, seven teams in the tournament. The biggest thing I do worry about them is that they play to the level of their competition and they still make way too many mistakes. And unfortunately, it's one of those things that I think ends up getting Kevin Keith fired because let's be really honest about this. There's not much buzz about that program. And for being a historical program like they are, that has the history and has the history of winning. I, like there should be more buzz about this team. There should, and there's not. And unfortunately, I think it's what ultimately will either get them on the bubble and Keith stays one more year, or they make one too many mistakes in the NCAA tournament in the ACC tournament, not make the NCAA, and then we're talking about a new coach in Raleigh next year. Not Edwards joining us on the Body Works Plus guest hotline. We got to transition and talk about the Charlotte Hornets. The second half of the season is underway. Nada, how surprised are you to see the season play out the way it has, even with all of the injuries that took place at the beginning? If you factor the injuries, I'm not surprised because when you lose four of your top seven rotation, you're not going to be good. I I don't care what team you are. You could be the Warriors, and it's not going to matter. At the same point, I think I'm more surprised that because it's a different voice in the room, and yet we're getting the same results. And at some point, this team is going to have to grow up. This team is going to have to defend. And this team is going to have to show something because right now they're showing that we can take James Borrego's offense, we can score a whole bunch of points, but we can't stop our man when it matters. And the minute that they do stop their man or the minute that they try to defend and it doesn't work, they can just go back and start shooting shots again and basically scoring but not defending it. Well, Nada, you've been one to preach riding the wave with this team so many times, right? Like, and I've understood it in the last couple of years, and we're obviously in a different situation because we had the expectations, and then Miles Bridges gets arrested for felony domestic violence. We have all of the injuries. It is not the roster you thought you were going to have this season, is certainly the guys that were and were not available to you. How do you operate at the trade deadline, Nada? I mean, I feel there's a lot of different routes that they can take. Terry, Gordon, do you just sit on those contracts now because they're not as valuable? I mean, how in the hell do you operate then? I I was on the sit, ride the wave, do what you got to do. Until I read a quote from Toronto, I want to say from Rod Boone's article, where Cody Martin basically says, we keep relying on offense. And we the minute we don't think this defense thing is working. We keep going back to old habits. That tells me we need to start thinking about this team in terms of, you know, you got to flush some of these personalities. Maybe it's a Terry Rozier. We know that Mason Plumlee is probably gone. Kelly Oubre too. But at some point you might have to start really taking a look at the crux of this team, figure out, okay, LaMelo ball is the only guy that's staying, but everybody else, 
probably either need we need to think about going or trading them at the deadline because at this point this the definition of insanity is trying the same thing over and expecting different results at this point we've tried this three years in a row it may be time to move on move on from a few of these guys now that i was going to ask you too playing on with the hornets and coach how do you think Coach Clifford, as far as him coming back and expecting one thing, getting another, do you think he will want to continue on with this when it's all said and done? Well, I'm gonna be real with you. I'm I'm surprised he hasn't quit already. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I'm, like the fact that he keeps coming back to work and he keeps trying to instill the same thing in people into people that clearly won't listen. I I I, I admire his stick to itiveness to this. I would not be surprised if he's coming back. I would also not be surprised if he says, you know what, I'm going to go consult and I'll go talk to Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving all day because that seems like more peace of mind at this point. And then also talking about from a leadership perspective, LaMelo Ball, what do you make of him this year and what you've seen? And do you feel like the problems in the locker room and some of the things you see on the court, some people say he's too young. Some people say, you know, it's not his time yet to be able to speak up. But do you think from a just a pure competitiveness and leadership standpoint that there are some areas LaMelo needs to grow in and that maybe is resulting in some of the things we're seeing? Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. Point blank, LaMelo Ball needs to grow up a little bit. Like, let's be real here. The silly fouls, the fouls that take him out of games, the fouls that will make him one of those guys that you can't rely on late in games to defend or do anything. Like, there's a lot of growing up he needs to do, which is also kind of why you might need to flush this locker room because you're going to need a vet. We go, let's go back to LaMelo's rookie year. Bismack Biombo was always on him about the mistakes he would make, and there would be corrections. There would be slight corrections. There are no adults in this room that you can that Lamelo can go to to say, "Hey, look, you're messing again." To go to Lamelo and say, "Hey, look, you're messing up." At some point, those kind of vets, the Udonis Haslam's, the Bismack Biombos, you need those guys that aren't going to play big minutes, but are actually going to hold this guy and hold the team to be accountable. At some point, you need those guys. Unfortunately for Lamelo's development. He hasn't had those guys outside of his rookie year. And we're kind of seeing like what happens when you don't do that properly. All right, Nada, we'll get you out of here on this. Let's combine forces here, college basketball and the NBA, by talking some prospects because it might be time to start looking that way if you are a Charlotte Hornets fan. Now, we know enough about Wimby. We know a lot about Scoot mm-hmm. Henderson. With you having evaluated the college basketball season and getting a jump on some of these prospects that look to make that transition to the next level, let's say the Hornets are in the lottery and they get something third or worse. Who are a couple of the guys that come to your mind that fans should be happy with that they miss out on Wimby and Scoot? Let's start Let's start with the Thompson twins who are out of uh, overtime elite. Osar, amen, Thompson. Physically, they're going to need a year in an NBA weight training program to get up to speed. That said, they're going to be very, very good. Cam Whitmore might be my favorite non-Scoot, non-Wemby guy in the draft out of Villanova. Started the season hurt with a thumb injury, has come back and been gangbusters, even though the rest of the team around him is absolute sewage. Uh, And Brandon Miller is one of those guys that I think if the Hornets are not thinking about bringing back a P.J. Washington and or a Jalen McDaniels, can shoot it from deep, can play 
play that stretch four, be that guy that LaMelo needs in terms of an outlet to drive and kick, has some decent size, can defend well. Those four guys are probably the guys that I would focus on. Throwing Casey Wallace from uh, Alabama, I'm sorry, Casey Wallace from Kentucky as well. Those those five guys are probably the guys that the Hornets fan, Hornets fans should start looking at like right now. All right, that's Nada Edwards, producer for the Ion College Basketball Podcast with Gary Parish and Matt Norlander. He joined us on the Body Works Plus guest hotline. Find him on Twitter at Nada the Scribe. It's been great fun, man. Fantastic stuff. We appreciate your time. Thanks, Nada. Absolutely. And Walker, get rid of the grape jelly out of your fridge. Oh, yeah, man. We've had this jelly kind of conversation and debate for years, and he still won't He still won't stop clowning for it. Grape jelly is fine, right? Grape jelly is great. That's grape only- je- yeah, grape jelly is, but, but most people want the strawberry. I've been clowned. It's a lockdown Hornets thing, but apparently a lot of people are in my mentions clowning me for the grape jelly love that I have. Grape jelly is great. Thank you. I don't you. know why they clown. I appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah. Wes, see, look, Wes and Walker, we go down together if we go down. That was some Sometime. good time. Yeah. <laughs> no, all the time. I'm bringing you with me. I'm sorry. No, this this is this is a you and me thing to the core, and even Fiddy is going down with me as well, if that just so happens. All right, Nada, giving us some prospects to look at. I do want to recap some of the comments that he had about college basketball, and then Sam Farber will be joining us at 1.30 to talk about the Charlotte Hornets season. It's Wes and Walker Sports Radio, 92.7 FM. Thanks to Nada Edwards talking college basketball and Charlotte Hornets with us. Speaking of the Charlotte Hornets, we'll go right back to that well in just a moment. Sam Farber, Hornets play-by-play announcer, going to be on the call tonight in their second game in a row against the Toronto Raptors on the road. You can hear that right here, 92.7 FM. I did want to recap some of the college basketball comments from Nada in the previous segment. The comparison between Hubert Davis and John Shire, a highly talked about topic leading into this season. And I thought he brought up an interesting point with the differences between the two that Hubert Davis had some veterans to work with in his first year in Chapel Hill. And John Shire doesn't have those veterans as weird as it might seem to say RJ Davis, Caleb Love, two sophomores as veterans, you're going to Duke and you're talking about their leader being a sophomore in Jeremy Roach, right? So Filipowski comes in, has been very good, maybe a little slump the few games before Pittsburgh, but overall, very good basketball player. And Lively hasn't lived up to it. Whitehead, you know, still trying to figure it out, only two made field goals. How much of the comparison do you think, uh, how much of that comparison, I should say, does that ring true with the veterans being more so on the heel side and maybe giving John Shire a little bit more leeway because of the young freshman he brought in? Uh, I think it's valid to an extent, but Carolina, they still struggled mightily until they made that tournament yeah. run. So I don't know how much of them being seasoned really helped. And I think that, you know, with Shire having the number one recruiting class coming in with what you've seen from Duke lately and the top recruits that they've had in the absolute studs, that they've been able to do really well as far as regular season success with those kids so you expect them more of the same you thought shy was going to come in with these freshmen and just get it going and maybe they flame out in the tournament like a lot of freshmen do but i didn't think the regular season was going to be as much of a struggle as it's been you don't necessarily see it that way fitty well i mean like i think the thing is is that like yeah we're love and davis sophomores and in sophomores that means you're a veteran yeah but they also played their freshman year during a covid pandemic season so they weren't they didn't really have like the full college experience last year was their really 
first year experiencing what playing college basketball is like. You added Brady Manick, who, yeah, was a fifth-year player, but it was his first time playing at, uh, at a school like Carolina. So it was a learning experience for him. Like, your your most experienced players were Armando Baycott, and we didn't see last year coming from him because he hadn't really been that dominant. And Leaky Black, a guy that is just a glorified defensive player who doesn't really have anything to, to provide on offense. And so, but I've, I've, I've said this all along. I think if John Shire is going to be successful at Duke, he's got to kind of do what Carol, getting old in college basketball is the best way I think to win. And so I, as, as much as Duke went after the talent and getting the one and dones, it's a big reason why they also flamed and fluffed in the tournament so often. And so I think if Shire's going to last and be a guy that can coach at that program 25, 30 years, looking at the Carolina model, looking at the Villanova model, is the Kansas model would be the best way to set him up for long-term success. Yeah, and I do think Leaky Black and Armando make a big difference, especially when you're discussing college basketball compared to the NBA where your rotation shrinks. If you have one guy coming off of the bench, then you're not a very deep basketball team. But we'll see, I mean, especially with North Carolina – they didn't go to their bench all that often at all until you had some injuries and then you start to go to Seth Trimble. And even when Duke was considered deep, you might have two or three guys or three guys coming off of the bench that would get some legitimate rotation minutes. So you're talking about 40% of your starting lineup in Leaky Black and Armando providing some experience that has been there for a while, helping that transition. I think that matters, but you are getting a lot of talent if you're John Shire. So certainly you can, you can be patient. I don't know how you know, can't be too patient, especially when you get closer to the NCAA tournament and you still might not be putting it together. Last thing before we get to Sam Farber here in just a moment, Wes, I know you talked about Clemson, a couple of these surprise teams uh, uh, towards the top of the ACC, not a, not necessarily believing all that much in the Tigers right now, even though Clemson beat Pittsburgh, he still likes the Panthers in the way that they're playing. What did you make of his assessment on some of the, surprise teams at the top of the conference well I think it was interesting like I said I mean I think Clemson's schedule coming up they've got a big game I think they're going to answer a lot of questions uh, against Duke and Wake Forest with the way Wake has been playing lately uh, and then when he talked about it being backhand loaded well you know I see Miami I see North Carolina on there but I don't see really a, just a, a gauntlet of teams that they have to get through to where they will get sent back down towards the middle of the pack, and then they have the late-season matchup with Virginia. But I think Clemson right now, we've seen Brownell really the last five to six years. He comes every couple of years with a team that makes yeah. a lot of noise, and it's not necessarily with five-star recruits and four-star recruits because that's not Clemson's football. I mean, basketball program. They have guys that come in. He coaches them up. We see Hunter Tyson. Uh, you know, he's a vet. He's been there for a while. I've been cutting that guy's highlights for quite some time now. And then his buddy Chase Hunter, it's the same thing. They're, they're grizzled veterans that have been through it. And then, you know, like I said, they have four guys scoring in double figures. But I think Brad Brownell, you know, he's a pretty good basketball coach, and he's got this team humming. I do believe in Clemson. Mm -hmm. I don't see the back end of the schedule, you know, just looking just daunting for them. But I think we'll get a lot of answers about just how real they are in the next two games with Duke and Wake. Clemson is one of my quote-unquote obscure 
AC, my, my favorite obscure ACC basketball programs to go back to and think about some of the players like DeMontes Stitt, Screams, mm-hmm. Clemson basketball. You're shaking your head. Did you hate Stitt over there, Fitty? Dude, yeah, he was <laughs> he was a problem, man. Uh-huh. Remember uh, uh, De- De- DeAndre Hopkins also played basketball for them, yeah. and he would give Carolina fit. <laughs> Anyone else? Not really. But when that Carolina Blue showed up in right. Little John, that dude would go drop a 30-piece in a heartbeat. You know my favorite old school, old school being like 2000s era player from back in the day is Casey Rivers, man. Casey oh, Rivers yeah. was on. He had, I think, the good game when Wayne Ellington hit the game-winning three. I think Rivers, it was him and Wayne Ellington kind of going back and forth. Do you have a favorite Clemson player from the day, like uh, in the last 20 years? Not really, but guys that I remember, like a Terrell McIntyre. And then okay. um, the guys off the crew that was on that, that uh, they went to the Sweet 16. Yeah, they got to the Sweet 16 a couple years ago. Uh, yeah, but I forget their names. He had that three-guard lineup. The three. Well, I I go back to Booker. I know you know Trevor Booker was an awesome player a few years back too. So let, let's do this. Let's do the name game of Clemson Tigers and then start to uh, reminisce on some of their basketball programs. Let's transition to the professional ranks. Sam Farber, Hornets play-by-play announcer, joining us right now. He'll be on the call tonight as they take on the Toronto Raptors for the second time in a row. Sam, thanks so much for hopping on, man. How are you? It's great to be with you guys. I'm looking forward to getting home and doing this from Charlotte, but you know we'll, we'll freeze our uh, ourselves here one more day in Toronto. Yeah, I mean it's it's been a lot of road trips for the Hornets here. Not only did you have the West Coast road trip, you came back for a little while. You still have quite a few road games before the last, I should say, third of the season. You're going to be playing some more games at the Spectrum Center, but not starting yet. But we do have the second half underway officially. Sam, what are some of the things that you want to see most in the second half of the season for Charlotte? I'd like to get a good look at how this core actually operates together. Uh, Because sadly, that's something we just didn't see the entire first half of the season. Quite frankly, we're still not seeing it now with Kelly Oubre and Gordon Hayward both having been out the last week plus. So, you know, I don't know that we're going to get that long of a look, but I think it's important to get one. Because so much of this season, you know, disappointing as the losses are, that the reason behind it has been injuries more so uh, than the quality of the personnel in most people's estimations. That's not just me talking. That's what you hear from scouts and other people. So, you know, in order to get a good eye on what the future is going to look like, you really have to know what the core can do when they are playing with one another. And we simply don't have that answer yet. Sam Farber joining us on the Body Works Plus guest hotline. And Sam, I, I think a large part of the struggles that happened in the first half of the season, it was because Lamella was out. And when Lamella was out, especially with Gordon and Terry missing some time, people had to play completely different roles. P.J. Washington could step up as a 30-point guy every now and then, but it's really hard for him to perform that way consistently. I think with Lamelo's return, they have been playing better, and I do think that's because you've seen people play in their more appropriate roles. Who are some of the players you think have benefited most from Lamelo's return? Well, I think one that you indicated there, P.J. Washington, like you said, they're, they're less dependent on him as a playmaker and can more have him play off the ball, uh, take advantage of mismatches where he's got him when he's the, the bigger guy going up against the guard and spread the floor and shoot from beyond the arc as well. I think Terry Rozier has really benefited as well. You know, he was having a career year before LaMelo came back in terms of uh, points per game, but the efficiency had crashed because he was the primary ball handler and he was getting the lion's share of the attention from the other team. Now you can play him in one-on-one situations, but you can also play him off the ball and 
have him be a catch-and-shoot guy, which he's just lethal at. So uh, I think it's really opened up his game tremendously. Sam, when you look at Mason Plumlee, he's had his uh, second 20-point game in six games the other night against Toronto. He's had four double-doubles the last six games with at least 14 points. What do you see from his play lately? What do you think about him? I see someone who's just at the top of his game right now. and You know, he's had years before where he's averaged close to a double-double, but uh, it's been on teams where, quite frankly, you know, they just didn't have other options. This one, you have options all over the floor, and he's just been able to exploit, you know, one-on-one situations where kind of the defense focuses on everyone else. Says, all right, I got a driving lane. Time, time to go just step down to the bucket. Um, but he's also a really good pick-and-roll player with LaMelo, with other guys uh, running that offense. I think he's just playing at an extremely high level. And there was a stat that came out from Hornets PR about the first half of his season and, you know, the number of offensive rebounds, total rebounds, assists. And the guys he was in company with is impressive. It's guys like Charles Barkley and Shaquille O'Neal and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and Bill Walton. And equally as impressive as the guys who weren't on that list. There was no Nikola Jokic. There's no Joel Embiid. So it shows what kind of playmaker and what kind of rebounding presence he really is. And then, Sam, when you looked at that Milwaukee game and just how great they played with that historic first quarter, what did you take from that game and did the last couple of games with them losing kind of make that game more of an aberration to you? Well, it, it might end up being, well, look, 51 points in a quarter is an aberration. There's, there's no getting around that. Uh, no one can sustain that kind of level. Uh, the greatest offenses, I mean, the Dream Team would have a hard time scoring 51 points uh, a quarter uh, nowadays. So that certainly is an aberration. But, but what it says to me is anytime you set a record, that means you have some exceptional pieces on your team. It's hard to set NBA records without having NBA record-setting talent. And that's what LaMelo Ball and the tandem, quite frankly, with Terry Rozier represents for this team. And that's why I'm so optimistic for the future with those two guys uh, you know, LaMelo being on his rookie contract and Terry signed long-term, I'm optimistic about the future because you, you don't score 51 points in a quarter on accident or, you know, just as a one-off. You do it because you had that kind of offensive skill. And so that's what it represents to me for the Hornets. Sam, last thing before we get you out of here, who are some of the players that have impressed you recently? You have a couple of guys to choose from. Mark Williams continues to play well defensively, but the guy in front of him, Mason Plumley, scoring 20 points, only missing one field goal. He's bringing us back the reverse jams. Is there somebody else you want to highlight, or maybe do you go to the center position? I, I love what Mason's done. I'm all for highlighting the centers. I think that's really been you know the, the stability point for this team all season long where there's been so many injuries everywhere else. But I'm going to give some love to someone I, I'm sure you had in the back of your mind. Jalen McDaniels has really taken a nice step forward here in his game. Uh, career best eight straight games of 10 or more points. And he does it playing within himself and playing within the offense. You never see Jalen forcing up 12 shots per game and you know going two for 12 amongst them. He's always really high efficiency, really good decision-making, low turnover. Uh, and he just brings so many different things to the table. So... You know, Jalen being in a contract here, I'm, I'm rooting for everyone to get as much money as they can, um, but he's really opening a lot of eyes, and uh, hence he's getting uh, you know brought up in a lot of rumors, which is always interesting to me. You notice they never put who's coming back to the Hornets in those. It's always like, hey, would, <laughs> right. would, you, would the Hornets like to give us a gift? Um, but Jalen McDaniels is, is really had an exceptional season and is worthy of a lot of praise. Yeah, Charlotte, I mean, you would want to trade one of your better young players for air, right? Like, I feel like yeah. you might be interested in we that. Give uh, us a gift. 
Yes. <laughs> absolutely. That's that's what that's what the Charlotte Hornets are known for. They're just trading everybody and getting absolutely nothing in return every single trade deadline. It's Sam Farber <laughs> joining us here. He'll be on the call tonight. They're playing the Toronto Raptors on the road. Tip is at 7:30 and of course, of course you can catch that right here on Sports Radio 92.7 FM. Sam, always appreciate the time, man. Thanks again. Thank you, guys. Talk to you soon. Sam Farber joining us on the show today, and you can catch him once again later on calling that Charlotte Hornets contest. Real uh, real quickly for you, what do you expect to see from Charlotte playing the Raptors very close until the fourth quarter, the Raptors go on that run? Do you expect them to um, you know, get over what happened to them, not being all that physical, making Steve Clifford angry? Do you think they come out and respond tonight? Well, hopefully you don't see them give up another 23s. I mm-hmm. mean, that was a uh, season best for the Raptors, and that's the main thing is guard the three-point line, like I said, down the stretch, because that's what really hurt them. So they just really need to come in and lock in on the defensive end. I mean, we say that every single night, and so do we they. don't get it. Mm-hmm. And so do they. <laughs> yeah, Terry Rose, I know Coach that. Cliff is like, join the club. <laughs> 100%. All right. Second Fitty Flash of the day. What you got for us, Fitty? And he's walking in with wings. Oh! Got a new name to add to the Carolina Panthers head coaching search. Dre Bly. Um, No, they want a good coach, (laughs) not a bad one. They have officially requested permission to interview Patriots inside linebackers coach Gerard Mayo. A great linebacker for the Patriots back in the day. Ian Ian Rappaport reported also that he impressed in head coaching interviews with the Broncos and the Philadelphia Eagles. So now Carolina making that request. Another defensive-minded guy, Gerard Mayo, D'Amico Ryans, a couple defensive-minded guys now making their appearance in the pool alongside Steve Wilkes. Everybody else of the offensive mind. Looks like we have to expand these profiles if we're going to keep doing these before. No doubt, coach. man. I mean, championship player, leader, because uh, I believe he was a mic backer, uh, if I'm yeah, not mistaken. I think so, so yeah. like I say, you talk about those guys being the leaders of your defense. He's a Super Bowl champion as well. I think, you know, I, I'm not surprised at all that he would be a bright head coaching candidate. A, a fr- Young guy. A, yeah, a fun, fresh name that we don't hear about a lot. We knew Ben Johnson was going to get love. Same with Kafka. Same with yeah. Dorsey. Gerard Mayo, probably the most surprising name, but a name that I like because he is getting a lot of respect. Right. And so very cool to see his name on this list as well. We'll see what direction David Tepper decides to go. We do have another coaching profile coming up at 2 o'clock. This one going to be all about Mike Kafka. But that's not before we get to everybody's favorite segment fire or fizzle legendary college football qbs we'll get to that in just a moment wesson walker sports radio 92.7 wfnz I want to jump right into Fire or Fizzle because not only are we going to hear the opinions of one Wes Bryant on legendary college football quarterbacks, but we do have an opinion from Fitty. So in the whole what's for lunch conversation that really happens every single day, it looked like you guys were about to go for some wings. Wes and I were talking about chicken wings yesterday, and I told you how fantastic Chex was. And you had not had them before. I think Flounder had had wings from Chex just one time. Didn't remember them being very good, but you're eating them now. And so I wanted to save your opinion for you to be able to role play a little bit. You could be Wes Bryant, and you could be the one to start us off here with your opinion on Chex Chicken Wings. So, Fiddy, for the first time, 
Are checks chicken wings fire or fizzle? Wes, if this does not go as planned, this is not a bad reflection of you, just a bad <laughs> reflection of me. I love chicken wings. They are arguably right there behind steak, my favorite food mm, in the whole entire world. I'm a wing connoisseur. I love... My favorite place to get them in Charlotte is Queen City Wings. I love Hooters, not just for the girls. I love Zaxby's. I love a lot of... I love chicken wings. I've only had a Chex chicken wing. Just one. I got the hot ranch flavor because y'all said get something other than mild. So I grew up a little bit and got a, a new sauce. And after one chicken wing, I can in fact confirm that Chex is straight fire and that's all I have. I, don't, I, I can't do everything else like mm. that Wes does. Yeah. Okay. But it's straight fire. Y'all carry on so I can get back to eating. All right. Go ahead and eat and make sure you get all that Yeah, because I give them a nice break. Yeah. Go ahead and give them all the sauce. Put it on the soundboard and eat your chicken wings during this segment. We'll transition to legendary college football QBs. Let's start with the guy that just won back-to-back championships. You put him in the Pantheon. But compared to these other names, I wonder if he could maybe fall into a surprising category of fizzle, according to Wes Bryant. I'm not the one, though. You're the only one and only Wes. Stetson Bennett, fire or fizzle? Listen, when you talk about championship quarterbacks, guys that lead your team, he may not look the part. He may not be 6'3", 225 pounds. He's all of 5'11", about 195. But he plays like he's 6'9", 280. 29 and 3 is a starter. Two national championships bought the Georgia Bulldogs their first championship title in 41 seasons. Four college football playoff game MVPs, 12 touchdowns, one interception in the playoffs. I say all that to say Georgia quarterback Stetson Bennett is straight. Fire! Two-time national champion! He brought Georgia back to the forefront. Don't ever disrespect him. He is in the Pantheon. I think that might have been the most fire you've ever brought to the mic, and it's for Stetson Bennett. That's how fire Stetson Bennett is after a back-to-back champion title. So there you go. Stetson Bennett getting the fire title for him. All right, Johnny Manziel. Going back to his time at Texas A&M. Yes. Winning the Heisman Award. Mm Mm-hmm. Right after Jameis Winston, this, so, yes. uh, the, the first Heisman winner to be a uh, to be a freshman, Jameis was the first, and then Johnny was the second. Yeah, was his college tenure fire fizzle, Wes? Listen, he became the first ever freshman to win the Heisman Trophy. Oh, okay, first during that season, thirty-seven hundred passing yards, twenty-six touchdowns, fourteen hundred rushing yards, twenty-one rushing touchdowns. What a ridiculous! season he had. Only player in NCAA history to surpass the 5,000 total yards and 1,000 rushing yards in a single season. Won the Heisman. Johnny Manziel, put your money fingers up. It's straight! Fizzle, he didn't win enough. You take this outfit home. And yeah, he didn't win enough. Whoa. <laughs> go ahead, Finny. Go ahead. Take a break from them checks, wigs. <laughs> this guy was 19 and, or no, 20 and 6 as a college starter. Upset Alabama yeah, on the road. That was in a signature a moment. Still doesn't make sense. He routed rival Oklahoma in a Cotton Bowl that wasn't even as close as the final score indicated. Look at the comeback he led against Duke in the Chick-fil-A Bowl. This guy had no defense, and Kevin Sumlin's bum ass was his head coach. (laughs) 
He made Kevin Sumlin. Still fizzled. All right. Next one. He wouldn't even get to dignify Dang. that with a response. Oh, I didn't here. know there was. I, was, I mean, I've, did I yeah, not trigger I'm, you at all? No. Zero I'm triggering. having an off day. Zero <laughs> triggering from Fiddy to Wes Bryant. Tim Tebow. Oh. I have a feeling I know where this is going, but I still have to ask. Fire fizzle for Mr. Listen, Tebow. When I talk about what this man means to me, when I talk about quarterbacks I would love to play for, it doesn't get more serious than Timothy Tebow. When you talk about the locker room speeches, you have never seen a player that will come out and play as hard as I will play the rest of the season. You'll never see a co-host that will come out and host the way that I do besides Walker Mail. Thank you. The only sophomore to win the Heisman Trophy, Sullivan Award, Davey O'Brien Award, and Maxwell. First player in NCAA history to rush and pass for at least 20 touchdowns in a season. Two national championships, Heisman Trophy. Listen, I already let you in on this. When it comes to Tim Tebow, he is straight. Fire, get the Bibles and the footballs out. Praise the Lord for Tim Tebow. That's a promo. My man. (laughs) Um, Trevor Lawrence, (laughs) following in the steps of that, I would hate to be the next name on this list after what you just said about Tim Tebow, but Trevor Lawrence is that name. I know he's your boy, but you've also changed a couple of other things looking at the ACC earlier today, a second take about uh-huh. it. So, second take, Trevor, yeah. are we getting that fire fizzle Listen, with one Mr. Lawrence? There is no second take. I got the man's high school jersey. When I watched his high school footage, it took me two throws to know that he is the real deal. When you look at his career, I wish he would have got that Heisman, but 34-2 and two as a starter. Third best winning percentage by a starting quarterback with at least 30 career starts since Division I split in 1978. I do my research. Completed 66% of his passes, over 10,000 yards passing, 90 touchdowns, and he had 943 career rushing yards and 18 touchdowns. Gave Bama and Nick Saban at work. Hair game, throw game, arm talent, and legs. It doesn't get better than 16 down in Death Valley. So you know where this is going. I know where this is going. Clemson quarterback Trevor Lawrence is straight. Fire! That's my guy. Probably my all-time favorite college quarterback. So we have one more name on this list, and I'm really worried. You talk about being triggered. If this goes the direction I have a feeling it's going, I'm about to be mad triggered. Like, more triggered than I've ever been on this show, and that's with Fiddy on these airwaves. Wes, we got one more quarterback. Mr. Cam Newton's lone stint at Auburn. Yes. Was that Heisman Championship winning season? Yes. Fire or fizzle? Listen, we talk about swag, Daddy. We know it from the time he came on the Auburn campus with that smile. SEC best, 1,409 yards rushing, 21 touchdowns that season, 2,589 yards passing, 28 touchdown passes. First SEC player to run for at least 1,000 yards and pass for at least 2,000 in the same season. Hosman Trophy, National Championship, Swag Daddy. Came and took the Queen City by storm, Queen City icon, but we're talking about college here. Cameron Jarrell Newton. You better say it. It's straight. Fire the swag daddy. Don't you ever forget it. I've never been more in love with you. I thought it could Come go on, the opposite man. way. 
That's Wes Bryant ending with a huge exclamation point. The inspired. only reason Johnny Manziel got a fizzle is because all these quarterbacks on here got championships, man. But Johnny Manziel... That season was lit. All right, Johnny Manziel, the lone fizzle quarterback on the legendary college QBs. We'll be back in just a moment with another coaching profile. One more hour to go. A fire hour to go. Weston Walker Sports Radio 92.7 FM.